This is not your century. This is Not Your Century, where we celebrate the news and the news media of centuries gone by. I'm King Kaufman. February 14th, 1929. Chicago, Illinois. It's the most notorious gangland killing in American history, the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. Seven men are shot and killed in a garage in Lincoln Park. All of them from Bugs Moran's Northside Gang. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking Al Capone's behind this. That's what the cops thought. You're probably both right. But he was never charged. No one was. To this day, the Valentine's Day Massacre is an unsolved crime. The St. Valentine's Day Massacre isn't one of those things like the shootout at the OK Corral. Not such a big deal at the time, but Pulp Fiction and the movies have turned it into an iconic event. No, no, the massacre was big news. The San Francisco Chronicle, like newspapers coast to coast, splashed it across the top of page one. Gang executes seven foes in Chicago. It even ran the shocking picture of the bodies sprawled on the garage floor, which the Chicago papers tucked on inside pages. The massacre was the decisive blow in the war between the Northside Gang and the Southside Gang. The Southsiders were Italian, run by Capone. The Northsiders were mostly Irish, run by Bugs Moran. With Prohibition on, the big business was running bootleg and Canadian liquor, and the gangs fought a turf war for most of the 20s. The Southside Gang had killed Moran's predecessors, Dean O'Banion and Jaime Weiss, and that was in retaliation for the Northsiders trying to kill Capone and his predecessor and mentor, Johnny Torrio. The massacre began with a phone call to Bugs Moran. A man said he had a truckload of Canadian booze coming in from Detroit, and Moran could have it for a good price. He should meet the truck at the SMC Cartage Company on North Clark Street. That was Moran's garage. His gang used it as a headquarters for the booze-running operation. Moran went, but when he saw a police car circling the block, he kept his distance. His boy showed up, though, and one of them was wearing a coat similar to the one that Moran usually wore. The killers probably mistook that guy for the boss, so when they saw him, they went in. The murder squad was four men, two dressed in police uniforms and two in suits and overcoats. They carried Tommy guns and shotguns. The seven Northsiders inside probably weren't worried. This was just a pinch. No big deal. It'd be over in a few hours. The supposed cops disarmed them and lined them up facing a whitewashed brick wall. And then they started shooting. They showered the seven men with bullets. The two men in uniform marched the two men in suits out the door with their hands up. They bundled them into a waiting police car and drove off. A crowd had gathered, but nobody called the police. They figured there'd been a shootout and the cops had their men. One of the seven victims survived for a few hours. His name was Frank Gusenberg, and he was muscle for the Northside gang. He'd been shot 14 times, but he was hanging on. At the hospital, the cops asked him who shot him. He said, nobody shot me. He died a few hours later. Coroner's investigators, using new ballistics technology, quickly determined that the guns didn't belong to the cops. Suspicion centered on Al Capone. Bugs Moran said, only Capone kills like that. Capone laughed it off. He said, hey, I was in my house in Florida. 
And when a reporter told him what Moran had said, Capone said, Only Bugs Moran kills like that. The St. Valentine's Day Massacre ruined Moran and the Northside Gang. They stayed in business for a while, but they were never a threat to Capone and the Southsiders again. Moran, penniless by the end of the 30s, spent most of the 40s and 50s in prison and died in 1957. But Capone had a new top rival, the Feds. After the massacre, they turned their full attention to him, and he became public enemy number one. He was in and out of jail on a series of minor beefs over the next two years before they got him on tax evasion. He was sentenced to 11 years in prison in 1932, and he served seven, most of it at Alcatraz. Sickly and badly brain damaged from syphilis, he retired to Florida, where he died in 1947. I'm King Kaufman, and this has been Not Your Century, a production of the San Francisco Chronicle. Get great journalism today and support the newsroom that creates this podcast by signing up for a Chronicle membership at sfchronicle.com slash pod. We now return you to your century. <laughs>